Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Uh, last week we talked about a, uh, a passage here in Romans 13 where if you look at verse number one in chapter 13, and this is just review, but let every, everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. It might not seem like it at first when we read this, but this is really going to build on that thought. Uh, and remember, if, if you didn't hear last week's message, go back and listen to it online. But really, it's we submit to these authorities, and to this it was the emperor, right, the Roman emperor. Um, but we submit to those authorities because we have a bigger, broader view, a bigger picture of what's happening in the world other than what we see on the news. And, and aren't we thankful for that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I pity the fool that just receives what's going on in the world by what you see on TV or what you're reading every day, right? Uh, and I think some people maybe consume that a little bit too much. <clears throat> Boomers. <clears throat> but... Uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, if, if we're building on this thought that we can be subject to the authorities and the rulers of this world, there's a reason. And so I believe he's going to give that reason in chapter 14 in a way that uh, expands on the thought from 13. And, and you'll see what he does. And we'll pull in some spots from another passage. But look at Romans chapter 14, verse number one. Uh, and I also want to want to warn you. Uh, if you have PTSD from, like, being in some type of a cult, uh, today is going to be triggering for you. So, anyway, I uh, just want to dis- disclaimer, if you're watching online or in person, uh, if you were in a cult formerly, and here I am, uh, <laughs> this is, this is going to be rough. Uh, Romans 14, verse number 1, uh, let's, let's start, uh, start together. Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. But don't argue about disputed matters. Now, does anybody remember the weak and the strong conversation from earlier in the book? Anybody? Okay. All right. Who were the weak? Does anybody remember? The Torah-abiding Jews were the weak. Who were the strong? The Gentiles, the non-Torah-abiding folks. Keep that in mind. Verse number two. One person believes that he may eat anything. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) One person believes that he may eat anything or drink anything. Just add that in there. While one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does. Because God has accepted him or her. Verse number four. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls. He will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than the other day. What day is he talking about? Sabbath. Yeah. One person judges one day to be more important than the other. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his what? His own mind. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is 
for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us, and these are a part of some of our, our kids' catechisms that they would memorize from the New City. And these are great verses. You should write these down, underline them in your Bible. They're eternal truths here. Verse number seven. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we what? We die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to who? The Lord. Christ died. Don't miss this wording. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the what? living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister, weak or strong? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And that's what we're going to handle today. Um, that is loaded. But I want to draw your attention to a place right here that we just read. Verse number nine, Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the what? And the living. Remember the thesis statement for this book, Romans 1, 16, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the what? The gospel. It's the power of God to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, and, he, and he says the just shall live by what? Faith. We believe that this whole book, this whole letter is structured around this idea that Jesus changed everything. And, and the gospel is the, the yongilion, or that's the Greek word for the good news. And the news is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has conquered and defeated the forces of, of darkness. And so when we align ourselves, when we declare our loyalty to Jesus for what he has accomplished and who he is, then we are changed. And therefore, uh, we kind of got into this a little bit last week, we are witnesses of this fact. In other words, we are the, the witnesses to be called to the stand to declare that he was who he said he was. And that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And Paul's going to go a little bit further than that. Um, we'll see that in a few moments. But, but what we're seeing here is an understanding of what the gospel does for us and how this perspective changes everything. But I think one thing that I've missed maybe in the past is that if you look there in chapter 14, it says that Christ died and returned to life that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. One thing here... Um, Forgive me, I'm a little parched. One thing that we're, that we're seeing uh, in, in ways of an adjustment here is the way that he's built this. And, and, I, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but we become fixated on our sin. We become fixated on our problem, if you will. Romans chapter 3, right? Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous. And, and for all have sinned and come short, right, of the glory of God. And, and I think that in our Western eyes view or the church's view, 
We think that our sin is the only problem and sometimes the greatest problem. And I'm not denying the fact that we have original sin. And I'm not denying the fact that our sin has to be dealt with and cared for. But that's not the only part of it. That's not the only aspect to the story. And so when Paul starts writing about submit to authorities in chapter 13... And then he says, whether you live or die, you're living and dying to the Lord because what Jesus has done has defeated life and what? Death. It's like they understand or know about something that we don't know about. It's like they have a different perspective because if, if we're just thinking about the Romans road, right, depending on what church background you have, then we think that it's just my sin. My sin is the only thing that, that needs to be cared for. And once my sin is cared for, then I can live a Christ-honoring life. I can have victory in those things. Uh, and if I have a problem, it's a problem in the flesh and not in the spirit, right? But there's a whole nother element to this conversation, a whole nother element. And so what I'm getting at here is found in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. And what I'm going to say is not groundbreaking, it's not new, but I think it's not something that we connect as often as we should. So Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, it says this, for our struggle is not, what does that mean, not? It means not, right? Is that a real, is that a hard word to understand? Not really. Let's figure out what it is in the Greek, and maybe that'll make it easier. No, it won't. <laughs> it's not hard to understand. You're right, Steve. It means not. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, have you been to my house lately? <laughs> it is a wrestle against flesh and blood. It is an argument between husband and wife. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better watch it. You're going to get an elbow, too. I'm taking my time in developing this thought here, but you wouldn't know that it wasn't a wrestling match between humans with the way we act. You wouldn't know that the battle isn't between us. Just go to church for longer than a week and you'll figure out that we're still battling against each other. But Paul's making it clear and, and I think this fits into this passage perfectly. But he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now watch this. But against the rulers, against the authorities. Well, I thought he said that we're to be subject to the rulers and subject to the authorities and, and even obey the emperor. That's right. But that's not what this is talking about. It says, we, but against, we wrestle against these people, rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. He takes the ambiguity out of it. What he starts off by saying, rulers and authorities, I'm talking about the unseen realm. I'm talking about the fact that there are forces of evil in the world that exist that are perpetuating darkness and perpetuating an agenda that has been perpetuated uh, before time actually began. And, And these forces that are rising up against Yahweh, the supreme being, these gods, the gods of the other nations, uh, they have constantly been at Yahweh, at his heels, uh, trying to uh, defer or define themselves as being greater or being the only. Think about Egypt. 
Think about the plagues. Think about the gods of Egypt. It was always their magicians and their people putting out their snakes and their staffs against Moses' snake and Moses' staff. And what happened? Moses' staff turned into a snake that ate their snakes. The gods of Egypt, the gods of the world, the, and, and I'm going to get into a little Unseen Realm stuff today, but what, what you have to understand is that we have oversimplified this thing in the Western eyes of the American church. We've oversimplified, and we think that we are our own worst enemy, and our sin nature is the only thing that we're battling, and it's not. There are forces of evil in this world. Paul, if, now put this thought together. Why would we not be subject unto the authorities and ruling and governing powers of the world? Because what Paul is saying is that they are being controlled by forces of evil. But what you, what you have to understand is that in that fight of governing powers being controlled by forces of evil is a greater power, Yahweh, above them. I take you to Psalm 82. You can go there and read that another time and let your mind just explode when you read it. It's just like, what? There's no name like yours, Yahweh, among the gods? My point is, is that there are evil forces and powers in this world. And it doesn't take much living to figure that out. You turn on the news and you watch the things that are happening around the world and we think that's evil people. And there are evil people. But my point is, is those evil people... There's talons from evil forces that are in those evil people. And that's why we can say, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. So once again, Paul is introducing this idea in this letter. He's saying, yes, you have a sin nature. Yes, you, and look, we know. We know we do things that we shouldn't, right? Right? But there's another, watch, there's another layer to this. There's another reason why you ought to watch and be careful and be vigilant. Your adversary, the who? The devil walks around as a roaring lion, Peter said. But my point is, is that there's more than just him. In, in our tradition, it was Satan took one third of the angels, right? And fell to heaven and wreaked havoc, right? So regardless of if that's your view, we don't even know what one third looks like. That could be a lot. And my point is, is that there are other traditions and that there are other writings that show us that there are bad forces in the universe, other, other spiritual beings. We'll put it that way just to save face here that, and not say other gods, but there are other spiritual forces in this world that aren't good. And Paul is saying that's really who Jesus was after. In other words, when he uses language like death, and defeating death, and having power over the grave, what he's saying is there were forces that controlled death, and the power of death, and the grave, and the underworld. Has anybody seen the Disney movie Hercules, <laughs> right? Let's just take a simple approach, and, and consider the fact that Greek mythology, and a lot of that comes from some of the ideologies that they would have understood in the text, Right? So it's not that far off to understand that death was some sort of holding tank or the realm of the dead where these folks would go and Jesus had to conquer that. He's redeeming you and I. He's buying us back. Hmm. 
Interesting wording, right? Well, let's continue down this line. So my, my point is, is Ephesians, the same author is saying, uh, and we're doing okay on time. The same author is saying, we don't wrestle against each other. Now, when we read Romans 14, wasn't a lot of that about people wrestling with each other? Yes or no? About what people were eating and not eating and drinking and not, and the Sabbath, right? So what Paul is saying, I'm laying the groundwork there and in other places of why you shouldn't argue with each other because it's so much what? Bigger. God is fighting a battle in the unseen realm and you all are arguing in what is seen. The unseen realm is what has held you in its grasp and Satan and evil forces. And if we were to flip the switch between this dimension and the others, the unseen, we'd probably freak out. We'd be like, whoa, (laughs) what is all of that stuff? Stuff that we read about in scripture and you say, well, I don't know if I believe any of that. Yeah, but you believe that there's evil in the world. Yeah, but you see it. We see the manifestation of it. I don't have to prove that to you. And it's, it's real, it's evident, and it's scary. And, and I'm taking you to, to the Apostle Paul. He was saying, this is bigger than you and I. This isn't about just your original sin. It's the fact that original sin, coupled with the fact that there were demonic forces that opposed Yahweh, we have to deal with both. And some of y'all are like, this is new territory. That's okay. Just read your Bible. Get on for the ride. Don't ignore it and don't say that ain't true. It, look, I'm reading it right from the text, aren't I? Look at this. Look at this chapter and verse, right? So Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Go there. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And this is about as plain as you can get it. Colossians 2, verse 6. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus our Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human what? (laughs) Based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire, this is mind-blowing. Don't miss this verse. I could spend the whole hour on this verse, but I won't. Maybe a few minutes. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. (laughs) Pause. Let me explain something. If you are caught up online, in person, in some type of religion, dare I say cult, that says that Jesus is a prophet and he isn't the son of God, that's a surefire way to say foundationally it's broken and I need to leave that. Why? Because the fullness of God, Yahweh, the supreme being of the universe, I I don't think we can overstate this, is bodily represented in who Jesus was. That's a tier one issue. Tier one, like, Accepting Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, like, that is it, Paul is saying. Bodily, he represents God. And to every Jew that is in this conversation in in the book of Romans and here, they're going, oh my goodness, like, everything that I know Yahweh to be the God of Israel is represented in Jesus? Like, all of that is culminated in his 
life, death, and resurrection? Yeah, that's the gospel. That's the good news. The, the message of proclamation is that Jesus is bodily who God in heaven is. That's huge. And so if, if you are caught up in something that does not accept Jesus as God, that is right there, like cut it off. It's dangerous. It is the, uh, what he's talking about, take, being taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition. If Jesus isn't at the center of it, then it's not worth being at the center. Everybody see that? Plain as day, clear as mud on a rainy day. I think I had too much coffee this morning. My brain's going like, woo, <laughs> trying to focus. Let's keep going here. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Look at verse 10. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every, what are the next uh, two words? Ruler and what? Authority. authority. She said three. <laughs> over every ruler and authority. Are we seeing a connection? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, ruler. That's what he's talking about. All right, stay, stay with me here. And you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Look at verse 11. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the what? Whether ye live, ye live to the Lord. Whether ye die, you die what? To the Lord. This, these passages are so closely connected. Verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Watch this next part. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Now, here's the full picture as I'm trying to paint it this morning. Should have had the cross out here this morning. Y'all remind me next week to get the cross out. It should be out here. <laughs> It's back there. You have to get this picture. If at salvation you're thinking to yourself, it's my sin, please forgive me of my sin, give me a home in heaven when I die, right? We, we oversimplify. What Jesus did is he engaged in a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle, watch this, for your soul. And what Colossians is saying is what was nailed to the cross. You see Jesus. You see the bodily representation of God. This is crazy. Right? When we get a picture of him lifted up, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And we see him nailed to the cross. What Jesus saw, what God saw, the Father in heaven as he turned his back. Father, Father, why hast thou what? forsaken me. Why? Because what was nailed to the cross was your obligation.
obligation, your debt, and every force of darkness, every force of evil was going like this because they knew they had you. As soon as sin spread like a disease throughout the human race, every authority and ruler of darkness knew that they had you right where they needed you knew that your death was imminent and that death was just the beginning. They would hold your soul for all eternity, separated from God. As they rebelled against the Almighty, as they rebelled against Yahweh, and Yahweh gave them over to the portions of this world, and He chose Israel. You can have Israel. You can have the Jews, the strange religious uh, uh, preferences and all the things that they do, but what they didn't understand is it was God's plan from the beginning to not only have the Jews as Yahweh's portion, but to buy back every tribe, every tongue, every nation from the forces of darkness and reinstate them as sons and daughters of the Most High King. And so when you're nailed and when you see Jesus nailed to the cross, it is your debt. It is my debt. It is not just our sin. It is the right that the darkness and the spiritual wickedness had to you. That's what he was buying for. And that's what Paul is saying. Do you understand the contract that was made? Do you understand that your life was theirs? You were twofold. He said it this way in Ephesians. You were twofold a child of wrath. You were owned by Satan. Remember when when. Jesus, uh, during his time in the wilderness, when he's proving himself in his earthly ministry, Satan takes him up to a high mountain and he says, I'll give you. You have to understand the way that these wicked, evil forces are ruling in this world is something that the Lord handed over. But he didn't come down and have this cosmic battle like you think of and when you see the, the movies. He humbled himself. It's the greatest story ever told. You see, Satan, maybe their leader, what we would say their leader, right? Who Revelation John calls the dragon figure from the Genesis record. He only would exalt himself. He was only concerned about his beauty. He was only concerned about how he looked and how he was smarter and better than Yahweh. He should have been the supreme being. And so what is the one way that Jesus chose to defeat the forces of darkness. And I could get into this like hardcore about the region of Bashan and where Jesus decided to take the battle. But the point is, is I believe that Jesus was masked. I believe he was a figure that they didn't understand and they didn't recognize. They would have anticipated God that, that is powerful and all-powerful coming, riding in, trying to, to, to have this huge battle, and, and it would have been uh, visible and seen, but what he chose to do was be invisible and unseen. And what Jesus chose to do is humble himself and take our place, the very thing that Satan would have never imagined doing. Why would I be put in the place as a lowly human? I'm a spiritual angelic being that has power. Why would I degrade myself? That's the kind of God we have. We have a God that in his fullness chose to be represented bodily in human form. But when he was bodily in human form, he was just as much God as he was then. So what does that mean? It means that when the forces of darkness said, we'll take another human being, and they crucified him, and they killed him, and they lied about him, on the third day, they got what was coming to him. 
<laughs> That's what happens when God was killed. When God chose to give his life, they couldn't kill him. They, the grave couldn't keep him. Every force of darkness couldn't keep him. And on the third day, he split that grave wide open. And why did he do it? For you and for me. Because if we were condemned in our sin, if our debt and our obligation rested on our head and it was up to us, guess where we'd be forever? The realm of the dead. Controlled by the authorities. Controlled by the powers that be. But they couldn't control Jesus. That's the good news. Sometimes I think we don't have that picture in our minds. We think it's our sin debt, and I have to put our faith and trust in Jesus to take care of my sin. Your sin was your blackmail for the forces of evil to keep you. He took you from their hand. And Colossians, Paul put it this way, he humiliated them by nailing your debt to the cross when he nailed himself there. This is a better, more clearer picture of what God has done for us. That's the gospel. Now, saying all of these things, these passages show, show us that there was a bigger enemy than just our sin. There are authorities that were vying for position, and Jesus eliminated the threat. He, through humility, took the fall, paid for everything that we could not afford, conquered the restraints of our souls by fulfilling the law. He lived up to the standard perfectly and gave all that declared their loyalty to him the victorious position, watch this, of his righteousness. Debt, obligation, and entrapment are a thing of the past, quite literally. So when he reinstates you as a son and daughter, that's what Romans is about. He clothes you in his righteousness. So now... Okay, follow the line of thinking here. If every, you know, every single human being, right, needed that same payment, needed that same fulfilling with Jesus' righteousness. Every, every human being needed it. So then we go back to what this chapter is really all about. Why do we argue and bicker over things that don't really matter? If we wrestle not against flesh and blood, then why do we wrestle against flesh and blood? Paul is saying the whole purpose of Jesus doing what he did is so the gospel can go from the Jews to the Gentiles. And you Gentile or new Jews are trying to tell all the Gentiles that they need to be like you. But really, Jesus circumcised our flesh. In other words, what Paul is saying is what is happening is in the unseen, not the seen. What Jesus paid for takes care of your eternal debt, and it really doesn't have much to do with what you're eating and drinking and how you're living today. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what we're going to dive into. This is about the weak and the strong. I got 15 minutes. What do you think? We got it? I think we got this. We got this. We laid the groundwork. <laughs> I know, right? It's about the weak and the strong. And let me remind you, the Torah-abiding Jews are the who? They're the weak. And the non-Torah-abiding Gentiles are the strong. The folks who need the rules and who need all the preferences in order to worship are the weaker brothers. And the brothers and sisters who don't really need any of that, they just need Jesus and they don't need all those boundaries, Paul calls those folks the strong. And I would say that our congregation has both. We have people that are caught up in tradition 
in, in preference and how they feel everything should be. And then we've got the new believer who doesn't care about any of it. Which is why I think it's so important for churches to reach people. It's so important for the newcomer to come. Why? Because they show up and they're like, hey, I love Jesus. He saved me and did the greatest thing. And the night before, they were smashed drunk. And they don't give a rip. They're in church and they're like, man, isn't God good? Worshiping. And then they go out that night and they get smashed again. What's that all about? They're not saved. I know they're not. The book says it right here. No, they just haven't been educated in the ways yet. They believe Jesus just the same. They believe that when they make a mistake and when they fall into sin, that he loves them enough to save them from that. They didn't get saved and signed up because they could stop doing all those things. They got saved because they couldn't stop doing. They got saved because they weren't able to do it. Jesus, help me. Jesus, come find me. Jesus, pick me up out of this mess. Plant my feet on a rock and establish my goings. The newcomer is the best person to have in churches. And when churches stop having visitors, we start arguing over the carpet. I'm, you know that's right. Mm. Why are churches dying everywhere? Because there's nothing living. That's right, Munch Munch. You knew. Look. The bedrock of, of this foundational conversation of why people argue and fight in the church, we started in the right place with this sermon, and it was about what Jesus did for all of us. And so that doesn't boil down all the way to the point where we're sitting in pews arguing over who should eat and who should drink. Just saying. Man, I was, I was caught up in that spirit of religion for so long. I was caught up in that spirit of legalism for so long. It's all I knew. My mama was pregnant with me, and I was in church three, three times a week. I was born in church three times a week. In an independent, fundamental, no pants, hellfire, brimstone. That's what they say. They don't even know what hell is. And it's like, it's crazy. It's nuts. It is the definition of the weaker brother and sister. Strict. Look, Lord, help us. Lord, help me out of that. But some of us are still there. Here's what we do. We recreate that in our own version of it. And if you don't believe that, just hang around church for a little while. Those folks that are prone to that personality of, you know, everybody's different. Some people that are OCD, you'd come in my house and you'd be like, oh my gosh, how do you even live in here? <laughs> and you know who you are. My, my dog, literally, my, my wife sent me a picture this week. She's like, I know, so we're going to start doing, we moved into a very vanilla builder grade house that we're extremely thankful for. But she's like, I have a husband that owns a hardwood flooring company and my hardwood floors look like trash. <laughs> I'm like, touche, all right, <laughs> we're going to sand those puppies. But, you know, I'm one of those, like, I got to get all my ducks in a row, and we got to talk about it for months and months before I ever do anything. The carpenter's house is always broken. The electrician's house, the light switches don't work. You know what I mean? The roofer's house, the roof is always leaking. It's a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. But I told her, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this thing out. We're going to carve out some time. And so we were talking about trim work, and <laughs> she's like, I want this trim everywhere. I'm like, I can do that. I, I'm a trim carpenter. I got this. But I told her, I was like, we can't have carpet steps. Like, carpet steps, 
nice trim. We need to put oak steps in, and we need to stain them, make them nice and chunky. I know a guy. You know what I mean? I know a guy. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. And so she's like, whatever. I don't, she says, I don't think that's important that we rip up the carpet and put, and I'm like, it's important. It needs to be done if we're going to do everything else. She's like, I think the other things can probably be done first. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, we'll see. So anyway, this week she sends me a picture. Rahab got bored and tore up the carpet on the bottom step. <laughs> I was like, ah! So she sends me a picture. Well, and I guess you're going to be tearing up the, <laughs> the carpet on the steps anyway. So it's going to get done. How many just hate the puppy stage? Anybody? It is the worst. And with my Belgian Maligator, it seems like that puppy stage is going to be for like three years. Does anybody want to adopt a dog right now? Give me one, give me two. Chloe, going to you, sold. Amen. Y'all want it? Come on. Here's what I need. I need you to just bring it over to my house so I can say hi once a week. You ready? You good with that? Oh, my goodness. It's so bad. I have no idea where I was going with any of that because I'm struggling to connect thoughts this morning. But I want to share with you this morning that here's, here's what really matters. This conversation of how we get along and how we approach these things is what Paul was really after. And I believe this. I believe that if we really understood the gospel, I believe if we really understood the lengths Jesus went to, I believe we would live right. It wouldn't be a, a system of legalism that we had. I believe we would just want to do good things for him. We wouldn't be putting restrictions on each other. It wouldn't be a one-up system. It would be a relationship between us and him. So anyway, these things will, they'll apply across the board. Husbands and wives in your relationship, you all can decide who's the strong one and who's the weak one. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, family members, look, how many know that we struggle in our relationships? Uh-huh. We struggle. And in our churches, we struggle. And Paul addresses that right here. So let's jump in real quick. Paul starts off by saying to the strong, the Gentiles, those with less rules. And why does he do that? Because you're the strong ones. He's going to start off with the strong and say, hey, you can help the situation, folks that have a little bit more of a broader perspective on this instead of a more narrow perspective. And what does he say? If you look at verse number one, and go back and read this in your own walk with the Lord, but it says, welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. Don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes that he may eat anything while, eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does. Here's three things I see Paul saying to the strong. Then we're going to do three things to the weak and two things to you both, and we're going to go and, and eat whatever's in the crock pot, okay? Here's the thing that he says to the strong first. Number one, welcome the weak. Welcome the weak. Here, here's what I think that means. Close the gap. Close the gap. I got Torah-abiding Gentiles over here, and I got non-Torah... Torah-abiding Jews, I'm telling you, my brain is fried this morning. I, it was good for service. I, I could think clearly. Bear with me while I try to get through this. Torah-abiding Gentiles on one side. Ah! I'm telling you. Look, who had COVID? Anybody who had COVID? Everybody's hand should be up because everybody had it. How many know brain fog comes and goes? It is coming. It is right here. It is. It, oof. I don't even know if I got a brain up there right now. Woo. 
Holy Spirit, give me the words to say, amen. You got Torah abiding Jews. Woo, yes, thank you. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> On the other side, non-Torah abiding Gentiles. And by this point in the book, look, we're, we're 14 chapters into this letter. He's saying, close the gap. If you're stronger if you clearly aren't restrained by dietary laws and what day of the week it is, you know the Jew ain't coming out on the Sabbath day. Come on now. You know they're not coming out of the house. You know they're sitting in there going, hmm, we got a water main break at the front yard. Can't do nothing about it. It's a Sabbath day. Who's going to fix it? And the Gentiles are over there. <laughs> It's the Sabbath. Of course the waterman broke on the Sabbath. <laughs> Your house is flooding. Really productive, Gentiles, in your tomfoolery. But it would be like not saying any, and this is a crude illustration, bear with me. But it would be the fact that the Torah-abiding Jew is sitting in their house, looking at their waterman break, destroying their property, and the Gentiles come over, shut the water off, care for the problems. They call Serve Pro. Get over here right now to our Jewish brother's house and zip this thing up. Why? Because our, our fellow Jew can't do that. It's against his conscience. He can't get up on the Sabbath day. Here's another, here's another reason why we're, we're screwy on this. I grew up thinking that the Sabbath day was Sunday. As a, as a, as a westernized, like, this is silly, but as an independent Baptist, we thought we were, we were the weaker brothers. But, but if, you, if you asked anybody, it was Sunday. And you didn't do nothing on Sunday but come to what? And they, they had it flipped that way. That some sort of weird Sabbath was on Sunday and you didn't do nothing else. And only the worldly people were out doing other things like that. Newsflash, the Sabbath is on Saturday. And what Paul is saying here is it's not about making your own Sabbath. It's about the fact that there are some of you that don't care what day of the week it is. Hello. You should prioritize Jesus every day of the week. You should always rest because you know he is the one who is making the difference. And the point is, is not, well, the blue laws, you know, everything was so much better when nobody did nothing on Sunday. Like, oh, that's really bad theology. Like, it's a cop-out. You're trying to recreate something that you're not even doing it good. And the Jews would be looking at you going, that's really dumb. The point isn't to become or make your version of being strict and legalistic about those things. The point is to love people different than you. The point is to close the gap. If you have brothers that don't do things, brothers or sisters, because they have a conviction and you don't have that conviction, look for ways to serve them. Look for ways to cross the aisle. Number one, welcome the weak. Number two, don't argue about the troubled areas. We all have that one family member. You know who I'm talking about? They bring up that one thing every time they come over. <sighs> Everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's Aunt so-and-so. She's our Karen. <laughs> you, know, you know who they are. There are those people who like to bring up the thing. 
And that's, Paul is saying, you Gentile people, don't pick up a bag of pork rinds and start eating them around your Jewish brothers and sisters. How you doing today? Having a good day? (laughs) Want some bacon with your breakfast? (laughs) It's so good. This is the kind of thing that like Paul is dealing with. He's saying, if we, if we see what Jesus did for us, we're going to close the gap between our differences. And more than, more than closing the gap, we're not going to argue about our differences. We're like not, spitting everywhere, we're not going to do it. What you're not going to do is bring up that thing that you know is going to offend them. Well, I just think it matters. It doesn't really matter that much. In the grand scheme of things, the Lord did what he did bodily through Jesus Christ so that a Gentile could come to him and a Torah-abiding Jew that's going to keep Torah-abiding can come to him also. And he can keep eating kosher and he can keep the Sabbath and still love Jesus. And you don't have to keep the Sabbath and you don't have to eat that way and you can still love Jesus. We can all come together under the name of Jesus. Your cultural background may look completely different than their cultural background. Close the gap. Don't argue about the differences. Why can we not be okay with other people being different than us? Why are we, I'm asking a a real serious question right now. Why do, why does everybody have to look, act, and breathe just like us? Why does everyone have to make the same amount of money as we do in order to be friends? Why can't, why can't our dinner table be open for people that are different than us? You may learn something. Your kids need to be around people that aren't like them. They need to be around other kids that aren't like them. Oh, what a travesty. No. Keep the peasantry away. We're really missing the boat. Jesus is going, you know what I nailed to the cross, and you're going to think you're better because you make 20 grand more a year than they do, or 100 grand more than they, or a million. goodness. But this is, this is what it is. This is the church of God being in its little nitpicky state because we don't want to reach across the aisle because we want to argue instead of talk about what we have in common. Number one, close the gap, welcome the others. Number two, don't argue about the differences. Number three, don't look down on the weak. I feel like this is a holistic thing of a family. I feel like as a family unit, you shouldn't look down on other family units. Our money, why am I saying this? Because literally everything in our society says the opposite. Our money, our status, our whatever does not define us. The image of God defines us. Holistically, Jesus defines who we are. And we, in whatever track we're in, whatever state, Paul, I know how to have money and how to not have money. I know how to be a Sanhedrin and I know how to be a homeless dude. I'm good. I'm good. Why are we not good? Why are we not good? Because we're proud. Lay it down. Lay it down. If the church would be humble like Jesus was humble, then people would be like, those hypocrites. Look, it, it happens all the time. Like, I hear people talking about going to church, and they're like, well, <laughs> most recently this one group said, it was like a few people talking, well, we're a part of the the." anti-organized religion club. I was like, oh, that's cool. And they're like, what do you mean it's cool? I'm like, whatever. (laughs) You can be a part of that club. You're going to hell. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding, Jill. It was a joke. 
<laughs> I had to lighten it up in here a little bit, y'all. I just chatted with them. Like, I want people, like, I invited, like, four people to go out on the boat this week. Sorry, babe. And none of them go to church. <laughs> I'm trying to get it in before the season's over with. Or before I sell the doggone thing. <laughs> it's supposed to be gone this week. Y'all pray for me. But here's the thing, like, I want every resource I have to be used to love people. Every resource to close the gap and to talk to people about what they want to talk about. I don't care. Why? Because I want to genuinely be interested in them. You know why? Because Jesus is genuinely interested in who they are. And Jesus genuinely loves them, even though they're different than me. And I'm a pretty weird dude. <laughs> Haven't you noticed? I'm a pretty weird guy. <laughs> Let's close the gap. That's for the strong people. What about the weak people? How many weak folks we got in here? You want to raise your hand and let us know you're weak? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. That actually means you're the strong ones. Because the weak don't know they're weak. The weak are closed-minded. The weak think that the blue laws got, never mind, I'm just saying. <laughs> Words to the weak, number one, there is a difference between the preferences, but, I'm sorry, there is a difference between your preferences and God's principles. He has to speak to the Jews too and say, hey Jews, take it easy. Don't tell them they have to keep the Sabbath. It's gonna be okay. But, but I, I, just, I just can't stand to see people walking around. <laughs> just can't take it. You're going to be fine. And I promise you, he talked to the strong first because if the strong start closing the gap, the weak are going to be more okay with those things. See how this works? He, he says to them, there's a difference between your preferences and God's principles. He also says this, just because you do something doesn't mean it's right for everyone. That's what he's telling the, the Torah-abiding Jews. Just because you're circumcising your child on the eighth day doesn't mean they have to do it. Number three, if God allows multiple trails to the same destination, which is Jesus, then lean into God's sovereignty rather than your traditions and abilities. I'm going to say that again. If God allows multiple trails to the same destination, then lean into God's sovereignty, God's ability to lead people to himself rather than your ability to perform a tradition that's going to affect a change in someone else. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I know that's good. <laughs> Even if you don't know it, it's good. Why? Because if a church has everybody that looks the same, acts the same, okay, you've been here three times. It's time to go to K&G and get a suit. <laughs> that t-shirt's not good enough. Sister Susie, <laughs> she's a tailor. She'll hook you up. Look, that was discipleship. It's crazy. I'm telling you. <laughs> I saw you leaving the bar this week. <laughs> so did Jesus. And I'm not condoning excess, right? But not everybody has the same problems that you have. Everybody's different. Multiple trails leading to the same person. I honestly think, <laughs> this just hit me right now. My mind's starting to work a little better. Thank the Lord, COVID fog is lifting. <laughs> so I'm going to need another 20 minutes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the last 20 didn't count. I had COVID fog. I honestly think we don't have anything better to talk about. We're really not good at, con at conversing. 
about talking about ideas because we don't read. About talking about the scripture because we don't read the Bible or know the Bible. So therefore, we have to talk about, well, you know what I do? You know how I do it? Oh, do tell. Because I was sitting on the edge of my seat waiting. (laughs) Got him. Like, I honestly think that's about as weak as we are. And, and that's the weaker brothers and sisters. We think everybody wants to know exactly how we do it. <laughs> Just ask them. They'll tell you. Everything. I'm going to be famous, TikTok famous, and the way I reach people. I don't know, whatever. Like, people literally think they're that smart. <laughs> I don't get it. But, like, honestly... What I'm talking to you about is stuff I'm reading and learning from other smart people. I'm not that smart. I just want you guys to know this. I'm not that smart of a person. I'm right here to admit it in front of God and everybody. I'm retarded. Good to see you. I really am. I'm dumb. Here's, what, here's my point. I'm engaging in, in learning and, and growing outside of this, right? And it fuels conversation. It, it fuels, like, I don't think my way is the best way. So therefore, why would I project that onto you? Because if I, if I talk to you about something, watch this. If I talk to you about something I'm doing, it's something I'm trying. Something the Lord's leading me to. This is an entirely different perspective than you come to church and you conform. And you do exactly what everybody else does. And this is how, that's how a cult is formed. Look, we've got to shake this thing. It isn't about our preferences. It's not about our opinions. It's about Jesus. And if Jesus is big enough to invite people that do things different than the way you do it, then you need to put your big boy pants or your skirt, whatever. (laughs) You, You need to step into that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, not popular. It's okay. With both groups in mind, and I just read this to you, Jesus did what he did to allow everyone a chance and every person needed the same power and the same deliverance. (laughs) Say that one more time. Jesus did what he did to allow every, every person, everyone a chance and every person needed the same power and the same deliverance. How many know that every person under the sound of my voice needed the same amount of grace? You don't need a little and they need a lot. Every person needs the same deliverance. Hmm. Paul's priority is focused on how well they get along, not how well they execute their traditions or preferences. Paul's priority is on how well they get along, not how well they execute their preferences and their priorities. Look, we gotta shift the perspective here. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? We gotta shift the perspective. Now, let's say it this way. Who do you not like? That's who you need to have over for dinner this week. Man, it got real quiet, didn't it? Who do you not get along with? There's your challenge. That's the next part in your sanctification. Is growing in that way and seeing what the Lord will do. See what kind of grace he can give you 
for that conversation. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.